You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Maria. Welcome, Maria. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, thank you for being here. It's just amazing. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your relationship with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Yeah, my story is probably a lot like everybody else's story. Um, I remember my father coming home from work and pouring himself a beer and inviting one of us four children to come over and sip the foam off of his beer, which we all, you know, loved being chosen by dad um, to be the one to sip it. Um, Mom had a nightly uh, gin and tonic. And so it was just part of our um, culture in our family to um, see the the drinking. And I was kind of a late drinker, though, with um, my friends. We really didn't start until our senior year of high school. I feel like sometimes you hear people that start super early. So I feel like May 17, 18 maybe was a little bit um, later in an odd way. That's a saving grace that I started a little bit um, later. Uh, it was me. I was the one that stole the bottle of wine from my parents' closet and took it with my friends and we passed it around and we hated it, but we just thought it was something that you did as an adult. And uh, and then it just went from there, college and became part of my um, life and routine. Oh, wow. And so how was it in college? Did you, were all your friends doing the same thing or was it Yeah. And I'm horrified to say that I probably was like the pusher, um, you know, trying to rally everyone to go out to the fraternities. One of my friends didn't drink and I was like, come on, let's go. We'll have fun. And um, so I'm kind of embarrassed about that now. I've apologized to her (laughs) since um, now that I've had this time to reflect Um, so just, you know, in general, the, the entire college scene of, you know, every weekend. And I think I realized on a Friday morning in my first class, there was no one in class. And I said, where is everyone? And someone told me, oh, they were at the bars last night. They're not coming to class today. What? You can drink on a Thursday night. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) So then I became part of that crowd too. So um, it was it was just the, um, you know, unfortunately, typical college story of becoming more than just a Friday and Saturday night. Now we can go out on Thursday night and Tuesday night happy hour. Um, some of those experiences. And so when like so what happened after college? I got married fairly young. My husband and I are in our late 50s now, but we married very young, 23, 24, right after um, college. We met at his fraternity. So um, drinking is part of our um, culture, I guess, at home. We were, you know, we had met drinking at his fraternity. Uh, All friends drank. So it was just um, accepted. And in hindsight, when I journaled and reflected, I recognized there were very few times that I didn't drink, pregnancy being one of them. And um, when I would get sick and my uh, doctor would say, you need to you know, cut down drinking for a little bit while you're on these steroids uh, and, and get better. So that's 
that's basically what it was like. It just became a daily habit routine uh, norm. That was our norm. And so um, then did you have, have kids or kind of what happened next? Yeah. And I love to tell this story. So thank you for asking. I have three children and I did it every way you could think possible. Uh, my son was a cesarean. My daughter, uh, my second daughter, or my first daughter was uh, vaginal VBAC, vaginal birth after. And then we adopted um, a daughter too. So we have three kids. I, I always feel like there's a story in there somewhere. I am a, um, a writer, so I want to get that story out on uh, the paper and page someday. Uh, so that, um, that is my story with the three kids are all in their 20s now and doing beautifully. And I just have to add in my um, youngest daughter does not drink at all. And my middle daughter is experimenting with not drinking and being more curious about why she's drinking. And my son doesn't really drink. So I feel like this has just been such a beautiful blessing for our family to come full circle around to not just what is mom doing, but how does that impact the entire family and, and questioning, you know, what, why are we drinking and why are we having alcohol at every family event and why do we need it? Just, mm -hmm. you know, that slowing down for them and, and thinking about it a lot sooner in life, you know, then I came to that uh, conclusion and realization. Wow. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. So let's talk more about um, your sort of conclusion realization and how that kind of unfolded for you. So were you still drinking a lot when you were having your children? Yeah, it was, it was daily. And I, I had so many signs. I was a thrower upper. I would get sick. I mean, I would miss work, nothing that ever made me lose a job, but you know, I would be, I would be sick. And I would say to someone, like one time I was hospitalized and I would say to my friend, I'm so embarrassed. I had two margaritas on an empty stomach and I just didn't understand enough about alcohol. And, and even in the hospital, they said to me, the nurse said, you know, maybe just eat some more next time, <laughs> have some water. Uh, I wasn't aware and I wasn't ready to be aware yet. So lots of signs along the way to... Um, for me to come to the recognition that something was just not working for me. Um, so my first step was I heard about, and was probably on Instagram, um, Curious Elixirs. Mm. And I just thought, I'm going to try these. I'm going to, at least it'll slow me down. <laughs> I'll have like one of these and then a glass of wine and another one of those and, and just slow down the process. And then I quickly realized, okay, slowing down the process isn't working either. And with COVID and the daily drinking, um, it just became too much. And I got really sick and tired. And I just said to myself, I am so sick and tired of being sick and tired. What can I do here? And could I even go 30 days without being sick or pregnant and, and really learn about what I'm doing? And I stumbled across your program again on Instagram and um, went all in and I, I removed myself from everything. I came and hid in our mountain house and really went through the program and did the daily journaling, watched the videos, joined your community app, um, did, you know, read so much Quit Lit and I 
after 30 days, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Why would I not try this for another 30 days? And then it just kept going from there. So that's really how I, you know, and I've, and I've kept an outline and list of all the benefits that I've received because honestly, it just was not working anymore for me. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And so what are some of those benefits? My gosh, the biggest thing, I used to get weekly stomach aches and the stomach aches just disappear. Mm. The second thing is I get to eat dessert again. Like now I'm like, I used to think, oh, I'm never going to order dessert or make dessert or have dessert because I'm just going to have another drink. And now I get to have dessert. (laughs) So I've, I've rediscovered key lime pie and I've probably had key lime pie every place I ever go. So I really love that. Uh, sleeping is better. My complexion is better. I have people that come up to me and say, you know, you live in Scottsdale, are you getting plastic surgery? I'm like, no, my skin is just um, better. So, and not just physical. So those are all like the physical um, attributes of not drinking anymore. My relationships are so much better. I quit um, people pleasing. I have established better boundaries for myself. I started going to therapy um, to address some of those things. Like, why was I drinking? Why did I feel like I needed to drink? These are the things that are um, I'm stuck on and ruminating over um, relationships that I'm questioning. So I all of that. And the biggest part of that whole process was self-compassion. I don't think I ever had an ounce of self-compassion for myself. I was always hard on myself, pushing myself, trying to be a perfectionist. And when I did a um, 30-day self-compassion practice, it was like everything made sense. And I knew that I was on a really good path at that point. Oh, I love that so much. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit more about, um, about kind of the people pleasing and how you broke free of that. What was that process like for you? So I think women of a certain age and generation, I can see, I can see it with my friends. We were just raised to be people pleasers. And I don't, I just don't see that with my girls. In fact, my girls are the ones that said, mom, you need to talk to a therapist. You need to get unstuck. You need to set boundaries with um, some of these people in your lives. So um, that is really where the people placing came in. I just always wanted to be a good girl and nice and make sure everybody else was happy. And then I had to really look at how do I feel after I leave this, you know, lunch with a friend or hang out with these people for dinner? Um, do I want to continue this relationship? Um, so things have definitely changed in that um, front, which I think was a surprise, but a pleasant surprise that now I listen to my gut and I think, how do I really feel? And what do I want to do with that information? And that's where like the daily journaling can come in really helpful too, is just to sit down with your thoughts at the end of the day and journal. And, you know, where was I confronted with alcohol today? How did I feel about it? Um, Was I people pleasing? You know, just who am I hanging out with and, and making sure everything is positive and moving me forward in the direction that I want to get. I love that so much. And I think it's, it's so important. I mean, I relate to, to that just desire to make everybody happy and really having a lot of anxiety when you feel like you've let people down 
or a lot of like guilt and, you know, just reframing that for myself in this, in this sense of like, well, I think the people who love me the most, actually the thing they want the most is for me to be happy, right? Like if you were to ask my children, they far more would like me to be happy than anything else from me, right? And I think that's also true with my husband and so many people around us. And yet we're trying, you know, we're not prioritizing our own happiness, which is ironically the thing that the people who love us the most want the most and would make them the happiest. But we seem to prioritize everything else. Like the, I don't know, for me, it was like the clutter-free counter or the dishes being done or making sure, um, you know, I don't know, all sorts of just little, little things that I felt so compelled to be on top of uh, for other people, theoretically, where really when I just like prioritize making myself happy, everything, you know, gets better. Right. So that's just so interesting. How, how did you deal with some of the resistance that comes with that when you feel like maybe you are letting someone down or disappointing someone? So I was just thinking about that because your friendships do change a little bit when you're not drinking with them anymore, right? So if every all your social activities don't revolve around um, drinking and happy hour, and if you're having wine with everyone else at dinner, and I recognized very quickly which friends of mine um, thought they were going to change me or turn me back or, you know, kind of be like that, you know, devil saying, um, I'm going to get you to drink again, or why not? And I recognized that that was about them. It wasn't about me. So I would have to prepare. I've done a lot of like visualization or my favorite go-to tool is to run into the bathroom and pretend I have to go to the bathroom. And I look in the mirror and then I just say, um, you have come so far. You don't need to drink. Don't let anybody try and guilt you into drinking. Um, you can be fun without drinking and it's healthier for you. Like my whole motto is, you know, the YMCA motto of mind, body, spirit to be balanced. And how can I be balanced and healthy if I'm suppressing emotions and not dealing with um, things? So in a way, I've become more confident um, because I know that I can stand up to people instead of just um, pleasing them, you know, by saying, like, I used to please people by saying, well, yeah, pour me a glass. And then I would just ignore it. And now I'm like, no, I have whatever I brought with me. That's what I'm going to have. So that's, that's kind of what's been working for me so far. I love that so much. That's so great. Um, and then what a gift that your, your kids, you know, have really been the catalyst for you looking at all of these things. I always say that if we are, you know, really not, at least like, I believe that we need to be as much students of our children as we are parents to our children, if not more so, because there's so much that we can learn from them. You know, they are living a different life. You know, my daughter is same way. She doesn't, she doesn't see any need to please anybody. You know, it's, it's what, what comes from her when she's loving is very authentic. And because she's not, she's not doing it to fit into a mold or do anything, you know, to make other people happy. And it's, it's just so refreshing. I think, you know, 
when we were grew up in this people pleasing culture, we can find it abrasive as well at first, but it's also like just so great to learn from our kids, you know, in these regards. Well, and the biggest part of that for me was emotions. It was all around suppressing your emotions. And my girls have been asking me for decades to please be there for them. And my go-to was to just go get a drink and think, I can't deal with this right now. You know what? They just wanted me to sit with them and listen and let them cry and have all those emotions. And now I'm better. I'm not perfect at that but it's definitely improved. And I've been, I've been present and authentic for so many people that I care about in my life, because now I don't go running for a drink to just shove all that down and suppress it. <laughs> I'm actually sitting and listening and asking the right questions or even just asking questions. And I'm not thinking, okay, when are they going to be done? How quickly can I get to a drink so I can just numb all this stuff that they're, you know, laying on me and now I can actually be there for them. So I would say that's probably like a really nice, big, pleasant surprise that came out of, I initially started just because I didn't want to be sick and tired anymore. And along the way, that is a nice surprise bonus benefit. Mm, I love that so much. It's just amazing. And how has it been uh, socially for you? So it's a little awkward time socially in general because I was laid off and that, you know, that was, it's been two years already, but I, I'm at that age where I'm kind of like, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to go back to work? I'm going to take some time and really explore what it is that I want. I tried to go back to work and, and work was like a big component of my life. I had a lot of meaning and purpose in work and I loved my team so I feel like I missed that community um, and the kids are all out of the home now. So that's a whole different um, aspect of the home life. So a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it was like my husband was traveling for work and now I'm home. And so you have to work through some of that um, transition. My understanding is it you know, I've read a lot about transition along with um, all the alcohol information that I've been reading. Um, it takes about two to three years. So I feel really good about being almost through it. Um, I still have my core group of friends. They just know, you know, now we're not going to, you know, Marie's not going to drink. And honestly, it's given them permission to not drink. We've been out to lunches and no one orders a drink now. So before everybody would order a drink and now nobody is ordering a drink. So I feel, you know, really good about that. I will say that if I go out with just another couple, my husband and I, another couple, and everybody is picking which wine to order, I feel a little left out because I'm not part of that conversation. And I always ask to like sniff the glass. I'm like, can I just sniff it? <laughs> so I smell it, but I really don't have any desire um, anymore. It's been 16 months. I don't have any desire because I know, I just know that road. I've worked so hard to get where I am. I just know where that road is going to lead me. So that's, that's the only caveat I would say is um, I would prefer to go out in a big group where me not having a glass of wine is not going to be um, so obvious um, when it's just you and another couple that it's kind of, you know, all eyes on Maria because <laughs> she's not drinking. And I don't like that. I don't like to be the center of attention. Oh, I really relate to that. I remember early days for me too, when, you know, I, I can, I can literally imagine a double date that I was on where it was the same 
same sort of deal where it was just like, and this specific instance was where the husband really wanted to know all of the, like in that moment that I said no to a drink because this was a couple I had drank with a lot. He just really wanted to know and understand exactly why, you know, in that moment. And uh, in speaking of people pleasing, I felt like at the time that I needed to give him this big explanation. And it, when it didn't come out exactly right, you know, I, I was in my head about it and it was an awkward evening, but it was an evening that I like learned so much from because I realized that in that moment, like I don't actually need to give anybody an explanation. And if I want to, that's fine, but it should be up to me on my terms. And I can just say like, no, I'm just happier without it right now or whatever feels good for me, but I can really relate to that situation. Yeah, I'm not quite there um, yet, but I feel like that's coming where um, I won't feel like I'm missing out or standing out. Um, I'm I'm almost there. <laughs> awesome. So good. Yeah. And it just, some of these things just take time, right? It just takes time. And it's such a high level of freedom to just even be like, I'm going to enjoy the smell, but not have a drink. Like it's, it's just amazing. I love that for you. It's just so cool. So let's, that's great. So uh, let me ask you um, sort of the question that we finished these. Well, first of all, is there anything else you kind of want to share about your journey or any other points that that you feel like you wanted to make that you didn't get to yet? You know, there's just so much learning um, in the change. And I, I think the biggest thing I learned was that um, no change is easy, right? Change is hard. Um, the thir first 30 days is almost like a honeymoon period. I was so excited and passionate. And then when you move beyond the 30 days, then you kind of get into the realness of, you know, this is a major change and it's making me face things that I've not been willing to face. And I've been covering up with um, alcohol. And, and so I would just say it, it, everybody would tell me, I can't even tell you how many people I meet that are non-drinkers, um, like my Uber driver or whoever. And they would say to you, it just gets better and better. And you just have to believe it because it does. And I'm only in year two and I keep thinking, oh my gosh, it is so much better. I can't wait to see like what year seven is like. So mm -hmm. that's, that's really what one of the, another, like what I call bonus surprises um, was. It was a challenge, but I was up for it and had a lot of resources and um, support and uh, it's so worth it. Oh, and it's, it's so true. And I can speak from it being, nine years now. And, uh, it does get, I, first of all, I, I literally cannot believe that it's been nine years. Um, it's staggering and it does, it just gets better and better. And there's, you know, so many moments where, you know, life still is lifey, right? Like it still has ups and downs. It's still going to produce, you know, things are going to come at you, but you just start to realize that, everything that comes at you is for you. You know, uh, my friend Myron, he says it either, it either works or it works on you. <laughs> like everything you, everything you try, everything you do. And you really get to a point where you're just looking around your life and just in so much gratitude. And you realize that joy is like in the spaces, like it's in all the small little things. Like for me, um, you know, just getting into the sheets at night, 
and how the sheets feel like something that I wasn't even coherent enough to feel or notice because I was, my senses were dulled. I was mostly passing out instead of falling asleep. Uh, that little liminal space when you're half awake and half asleep and your brain starts to drift. Like it's, it's such a, a pleasant experience that I had been, you know, completely had erased from my life and all these little things that are around and were around the whole time. And there's so much depth and joy to just the experience of being alive, which it really only comes when you stop really trying to escape, you know, and, and when you are willing to say, okay, I'm going to be here for this and, you know, see, see what happens and, and navigate through it. That's where, um, that's where you really can find, I think so much, so much joy. And there's so much joy in just knowing that you're doing it yourself, right? Like you're, you're going out and you're having those dinners and those conversations yourself. Like you're not needing that liquid courage or you're not needing, like, there's just such a level of confidence that also comes from it, which I absolutely love. True. True. I love that feeling of crawling into bed at night. And I would share, I used to let crawl into bed and think, oh, I didn't have a drink tonight. I'm going to get out of bed and go have a drink. And I can't even believe that I used to do that. And now I lay in bed and am so proud of myself, just like you said, that you can totally enjoy, you know, being in bed and not having that drink. <laughs> I love that. It's so great. Well, let me ask you, Maria, the question that I ask at the end of these, which is if you were going to go sort of back in time and talk to a former version of yourself, maybe the one who was hospitalized, um, what would you say to her about what life is like now? Oh, I would tell her to quit being perfect, stop trying to please everyone, start journaling, sit with your emotions have some self-compassion for yourself, learn, keep on learning, be willing to change, um, talk to people, explore, be curious, you know, but I would also say she probably had to go through all that to get yeah. where she is. Don't beat yourself up about it. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. There's an, definitely an element in us not being ready to listen before we're ready to listen, even to ourselves. And so, yeah, so much compassion for our, our former selves. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has just been great to get to know you and hear your story. And I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And I have my little gratitude candle here that I lit to remind me I'm so grateful for you and your program. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how This Naked Mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious. Stay curious.